Hi, my name is Chris Smith. My family's been going to Liberty Heights uh, Church for about two years now. I didn't join a life group right off the bat. Joined the men's group that meets on Tuesday mornings. My wife actually uh, told me about it. I think she saw it in a bulletin. and uh, It's something that we had talked about. Took the opportunity to go. I can honestly say my life group has, has basically meant everything to me. My, uh, my mother passed away in May and uh, 17, 17 days later, my wife passed away. And uh, you, you know, what do you have left? I mean, if you don't have biblical community, if you don't have um, people that you can reach out to, and people who will uh, pour into you or, or just give you some, some wise counsel. Um, uh, well, I don't know what I would have done. My life now is completely different, but I have, I have grown a lot just by you know, being in that group and being, being able to share um, various things, um, all, the, all the difficult times. You can't do things on your own. Just like Pastor Brad says, you can't, um, you can't just say, "Hey, I've got this," and um, and expect that everything will be all right. Because even if it's just a matter of the situation that you're in, where you're able to say, "I've got this," can completely change and completely turn upside down, and all of a sudden, you don't have this and. Um, and that's what I found myself in. And, um, and I'm just thankful that my wife um, was looking out for me in such a way that she even recommended that I go to the, go to the men's group. It's just been a good thing for me, and, and uh, I think it's, it's something that everybody can, uh, can benefit from and, and should, you know, should be a part of. Took a lot of courage to share that testimony. Can we say thank you to Chris and uh, sharing that? And I preached Chris's wife's funeral, but make no mistake, it was his group that extended pastoral care to him in the most difficult season of his life. Well, this morning I have um, both good news and bad news, and I don't know if the good news is as good because they didn't play out in the first service, but my heart, my goal this morning is not to preach for a super long time, all right? Uh, that didn't work out too well in the first service, but, um, but I, I want to spend a little time just kind of briefly teaching. We've been teaching uh, this series about biblical community for the last several weeks, and so I want to spend a little time, just a couple more key principles I want you to understand about the importance and power of community, but then I want to kind of just wrap it up and just kind of talk to you, just kind of share my heart as the pastor of the church about our vision for discipleship, and then kind of speak into some things that are often prevalent in a culture of American Christianity and, and discipleship there, and just kind of challenge those uh, assumptions as well. So, but even though I'm just going to teach for a little bit, we always want our teaching to be rooted in Scripture. So let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, for a message titled, I Get By With a Little Help From My Friends. And so as you're turning there, let me just share with you, remind you of the three 
principles. We've said all throughout this series, it's the fourth and last week of the series, so hopefully you've kind of held on to these, you kind of can wrap your mind around these truths and maybe you can repeat them. So uh, here are the three key principles I want to share as you're turning there. Number one, God's plan for your potential is dependent on people. Uh, That is the way that God has designed sanctification or growth to work, and so God uses people to further us along in that work of growing. So God's plan for your potential is dependent on people. A second thing we've shared throughout this series is that isolated Christianity is not normative New Testament Christianity. Uh, That is an invention of American culture that's crept into our churches, but in the New Testament, it was interdependent relationships. And the third thing I hope you, uh, at least if you walk away from this series with anything that we've taught, this is, I want you to walk away with this idea or this sentiment, this statement, which is simply this. Anonymity is the enemy of discipleship. Anonymity is the enemy of discipleship. You cannot be known, if, uh, or if you are not known, you cannot be discipled. You can be inspired, you can be educated, but you cannot be discipled if you are not known. So, review those. Let me just get into a a short teaching time. And and here's why I'm trying to keep the the teaching time short. One, so I can kind of just talk at the end, just kind of share my heart and cast a little vision. But then also at the end, I'm kind of hopefully carving out some time because I'm going to ask you to do something with all that we've taught. And some of you upon hearing that thinking, hey, pastor, if you've got something you want to share in your heart, you take as long as you want, right? Like you don't worry about us doing anything at the end. You just just keep talking. So so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look this morning at verse 1 down through verse 7 this morning. Paul An apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, uh, to the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Uh, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. And so uh, when, when Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, what, what I want you to see in this passage is that Paul in verse 3 makes this uh, incredible statements about God. You know, if you uh, know anything about Paul's life, there was a lot of hardship, a lot of affliction for the sake of the gospel, shipwrecked, you know, beaten to death, bitten by a snake, you know, all, all kinds of things happen. And so what, what Paul was saying, hey, listen, uh, let me just tell you, despite all of those things, the hardship I've suffered... Our God has been incredibly faithful, verse 3. He's been the God of all comfort. He's been the God of all mercy. He has personally benefited me. He has personally ministered to me. God has been so faithful. But it doesn't just stop there. Now, had he just stopped there, we would say that that's a, that's a happy ending, right? We would say, hey, that's great to know that, that when you're struggling or walking through affliction, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of comfort. And we could just end the story there and everybody would cheer and it would be fantastic. However, what Paul says is the principle I want you to see here is this. Hey, listen, God did all of those things in my life. Verse 3, so that, verse 4. So that, and what he's saying is there, is uh, Paul's describing is that in the context of community, as God ministers to me, I in turn uh, 
express that ministry to other people around me. So the first principle in this passage is simply this, is that community is the place I receive care. It's the place that I receive care. Paul's giving this incredible testimony about God uh, in verse 3 in the face of affliction. But then go back at verse 4, and then he says it again at the end of verses 6 and 7. Go back to verse 4. He describes the character of God, verse 3, uh, verse 4, who comforts us in our tribulation. And then he gives a comma, and there's the word that. So, so from the language in verse 4, what we see is there's a, there's a cause and effect going on here. This is who God is. This is what God has done. But the reason that God has done that is the rest of verse 4, uh, which reads this way. That we, those who have been comforted by God's affliction, that we may be able to comfort those uh, who are in any trouble. We're going to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is incredible. Verse 3, God has ministered to me throughout all afflictions. Verse 4a, why? So that that same comfort and mercy we've experienced that Christ through us can extend that to everybody in my community that when you're walking through, God did this in my life, not just for my own personal benefit, but for the benefit of others in the community of Christ. He says the same thing. Go down to verse 6. Uh, he says, if, if, if we're afflicted, what, what, what's the purpose of that? What's he say? Uh, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation. God is doing this in us so that we can experience his mercy so that you can experience it through us. And then he says in the verse uh, 7, or at the end of verse 6, he says, if we're enduring uh, sufferings, we also suffer. If we're comforted, it's for you. It's for your consolation. And so what that means is in a, a culture of American, isolated, individualistic Christianity where, where God is doing this for me and, and my own personal journey with God and, and this is what I've personally experienced. Listen, the reason uh, God works in us, not the only reason, but one of the reasons God does His work in us and through us and for us is for the sake of other people is what He's saying. Why? Because community is the place I receive Care is what Paul's uh, describing here. Now, uh, in American Christianity, in an individualistic society, uh, what happens is that individualism, that you just work hard, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that, that in our culture creeps over into our faith. And what happens is we have this phrase that we use often when describing our relationship with Christ. And you've said it, you've heard it, you've heard other people say it. Uh, we say this, uh, my personal relationship with Christ, my, my individual relationship with Christ. And yes, salvation is personal. Uh, no one's going to heaven because of their last name or they've always grown up in this church or, you know, or they're Americans or fill in the blank. Listen, salvation is personal. God changes my standing individually. However, When the Bible talks about our identity in Christ, the most common language is not our individual identity in Christ. The most common language in the Bible is about our corporate identity in Christ as a covenant community of interdependent relationships. And so when we understand that, it shifts our thinking. We say, oh, God is wonderful, and God did this, verse 3, God God is this, I can testify of all these things, but that wasn't just for me. The reason God did those things in my life is so I could get a clear picture of who he is and through that knowledge I could extend that to the people around me so that if I've been comforted, I can comfort them with the same comfort I've been comforted with. And so this is the place, uh, according to verse 4 and according to the testimony you heard earlier, uh, one of the benefits of being the body is that I have people to weep uh, with me when I weep. And so we've uh, shared one, let me just, uh, we're going to share another 
testimony so that you can see this principle in, in, in real life action in the story of someone who's experienced it personally. Hi, my name is Nathan, and this is my wife, Tressa, and we have been at Liberty Heights Church since 2014. Several years ago, when we first became involved with Life Group, we were going through a terrible time in our marriage, a, a crisis, and uh, we were separated. During that time period, Tressa was uh, looking for a place to stay. She needed a home to live in uh, because we were separated, and uh, at that time is when we first began experiencing what it truly meant to be part of the body of Christ. I was introduced to a couple and not knowing at the time they were actually life group leaders. Um, they decided to take me into their home while we were separated and then they began taking me to their life group. And those people were just amazing. They came around me, they loved on me. Um, I just wanna stress, I really needed someone that wasn't gonna judge and reject my husband and also um, that wasn't gonna feel sorry for me but actually helped me to be able to grow through all the issues that were going on at that time. And through that, <laughs> what I really learned, when, it, when I went into that, I was thinking that, um, that, that my husband had like these big problems and I just needed to get through you know, the, the hurt and the devastation. But what I learned um, getting into God's word was I had a lot of stuff going on in me that was hidden. And I did not know that until I was in that very close, um, safe community within the church. And what I learned was I had a lot of spiritual pride. I had a lot of fear. And so this group being connected with them really helped walk us through all of that. And then when Nathan came, um, um, was reconciled back with me, uh, the group opened him, um, the group it accepted yeah. him with open arms and uh, just loved on him like he had been with us the whole time and then and just walked alongside him as well. The life group that came around us helped us to live out on a, on a weekly and a daily basis everything that we were learning and able to and trying to learn how to actually apply God's Word in our lives and these people came to us and, and held us accountable. They did not judge. It was a loving growing environment that allowed us to just walk out and learn how to walk out God's Word on a daily basis. We have such a passion for Life Group now, and we want to continue that same environment. When we get in a close setting like this, and we become vulnerable and begin to open up and strive to apply God's Word in our life so we can change and become more like Him and glorify Him, the more people do that in a close setting, the more um, comfortable it becomes, and it becomes safer and you're able to do it together instead of um, just remaining outside because you're afraid all the time. I hope that you, you didn't miss out on what they said there at the beginning that, that when we're walking through an incredibly difficult season in our marriage that my husband was no longer living at home, I had no place to live, that a life group, a people reached out and just, they didn't say from a distance, hey, we're praying for you and, and how are you doing on Sunday morning? We're thinking about you and do you need anything? No, no, no. They went out and they, they brought that family into their home and loved on them at their lowest point of need. You say, well, that, that's radical. No, listen, it's biblical. That's exactly 
what this looks like. The community is the place that I receive care. Uh, not, not, not if the bottom falls out, but when the bottom falls out, those people walk into my lives and do whatever it takes. And you need that and I need that when that happens in our lives. And so let me share the second thing in our teaching time uh, this morning is, is this. Is it not only is community the place where, where I receive care, uh, community is also the place where I best receive counsel and correction. Now, uh, upon hearing that, uh, some of you are elated, right? Like when you're driving here on the, on the car on the way here, you're thinking, you know what? I, it's been a while since I've heard a good sermon on, on biblical correction. And if you, you thought that on your way here, you were thinking it about the other people in the car. Am I right? Like when we get there, I hope you're listening, amen, because he's got something to say to you. But so, so here's what I want to tell I want to teach on both of those things, and, and we're going to walk through a passage uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and, and some other passages. Now, when it comes to counsel, that, that's front end, that's preventative, it's uh, formative, and, and I'm assuming you're okay with that by evidence that you're here this morning. You're like, hey, I, I'm going to try and grow in wisdom on the front end, and we're totally fine with that but when it comes to correction on the back end when someone comes around and speaks into our life in a corrective way uh, if you're like me you kind of resist that right it feels like judging or you're being you know whatever and so we're going to walk through both of those this morning now let me just share a couple uh, verses out of proverbs uh, as the need to uh, best receiving uh, counsel on the front end or teaching on the front end so just two verses i think we're all convinced this by the fact that we're here proverbs chapter 11 verse 14 says this uh, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It goes on later in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 24, verse 6, says this, For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors uh, there is safety. And so when you have other people who are walking through life with you, life-on-life discipleship, what's going to happen is this. When I'm up here teaching, I'm teaching the Bible in general kind of principles. This is what God's Word says, and this is how it applies in normative situations. But I'm not speaking specifically to whatever it is you're wrestling with sometimes. And what happens is that gap between a information and transformation is application. So I need the counsel of other people uh, walking beside me and say, Hey, did you hear what was taught? I think this is how it applies in your life. You and I all need that counsel. And there's safety in the multitude of counselors. If I'm the only counselor that you have, uh, you're in trouble. All right? And I'm wicked smart. Amen? All right? So you need that. We all need that. But the second one, correction, oh, like that doesn't warm the affections of my heart, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't get me excited. Uh, but, but here's the reality. Even though I don't like it, I, listen, I need it. I desperately uh, need it. Let me uh, share with you Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 uh, through verse 16. It says, put on then as God's uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must give. There's that principle again. Just as God has done this for you vertically, you now have to extend that horizontally. God just didn't forgive you for your own personal benefit. God did that so you could extend that to other people. Uh, same idea as the previous passage, all right? And above all, verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called one body, and be thankful. Now, listen to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching 
That's, that's preventative, that's formative, that, that's, front, that's what we're doing now. It's you know, getting wisdom on the front end. This is what teaching and, two separate things, and admonishing uh, one another in all wisdom. And so, uh, you, ever, you ever been in a church where it seems like every single week, like you're not even sure why, but it seems like every week the pastor's just angry. Amen. Have you ever been to a church like that where you're like, hey, uh, every week you're just inviting your friends. Listen, you should come to church with us. Our pastor screams at us every week. You're going to love it. And I've been to those churches and some of you sat through church like, like if he wasn't preaching against something. Uh, listen, if you didn't walk out of church feeling guilty, you hadn't been to church. Am I right? And so if that's all that you ever hear, the only time you hear admonishment is from the pulpit, you're probably in a legalistic church or maybe even a spiritually abusive church. Now, if you're in a church culture where admonishment is never practiced, you're not in a church, you're in a country club. Because the scripture says, this is what it looks like uh, to live out the truth. Now, now here's the temptation. You go, you know what? That's a strong, like that's a strong word. That's not a normative thought. Um, uh, that, that's just one verse, and so do we want to build a whole system on one verse, verse 16? And, well, let me just, listen, there's a laundry list of all of these passages about admonishment, uh, which is corrective truth on the back end uh, in the Scripture. So let me just walk through some of these. Acts 20, 31, uh, therefore be on the alert, remembering that day, uh, night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Why with tears? I hate to tell you this again, but, but I've got to speak truth in your life correctly, all right? Uh, Romans 15, 14, this is my favorite of all these. Uh, and concerning you, my brothers, so he's talking to Christians. Uh, concerning you, my brothers, I myself uh, also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, full of knowledge. Now, now, what's the evidence of that? And able also to admonish one another. That, that's body life. That, that's not... From here down, that's each other, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Uh, Colossians 1, 28, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching. He separates those things again. Uh, every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. What does that mean? That apart from teaching, front end, formative, preventive, all that stuff, and admonishing, which is corrective, we will not grow to full completion in Christ or full maturity according to that passage. Colossians 3.16, same verse, I won't read that again. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, but we request of you, brothers, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, in the original language, it's the same root words there. We see admonished in these other places. 2 Thessalonians 3.15, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In other words, all these passages saying the same truth in different ways, that a part of living in a spiritual family is, yes, there's teaching, there's preventative, there's you know, all that front end growing in wisdom stuff, but also normative experience in a Christian community. Uh, there should be corrective admonishment where I share truth in love even when it's difficult. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that some of you right now on the inside are going, oh, that sounds a lot like judging. And I don't know where it's at in the Bible, but I know it says something. That's bad, right? Listen, if someone knows you and loves you and they humbly and gently offer corrective counsel to you, 
They're not judging you. They're admonishing you. And you shouldn't be defensive. You should be grateful to God. Why? Because we all need it, including me. It's not judging. It's admonishing. Why? Because my own heart is deceitful and wicked. I need people to come and speak truth lovingly and gently uh, into my life. Don't, don't be defensive. Listen, be grateful that someone loved you enough to come alongside and have a, an uncomfortable conversation because they saw you going over a guardrail. Now, this, uh, this little side note here, if this is to be practiced as normative uh, New Testament Christianity, if the Bible teaches this, I'll list all these verses. Um, how do you know if you're ready to offer, not receive, offer admonishment to someone else? Have, have we all not experienced that person who's a little too giddy to correct other people? Have we not? Like their spiritual gift uh, is, you know, just admonishment. That, that's, that's their, they just, they can't help. You know, um, I just, I've been wanting to share this with you. And there's a little twinkle in their eye. Something's wrong. Listen, the way you know you're ready to offer admonishment, it's super, super simple. Don't make this too complicated. Here, here, here's how you know, real simple. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You love them so much that you know what you're going to share is going to sting a little bit, even if it's for their benefit, that, that you're just uncomfortable even going to them because you know this is going to hurt, but it's for their benefit. You, you don't even want to because you love them so much. Or, and, not either, or and, uh, you're so humbled by your own sin that you're fearful to even share corrective truth with someone else, but you know that God has called you to it. And so the reason I know I'm ready, I don't want to do it. I'm aware of my own sin. I love them. It's an uncomfortable conversation. Now, so, so here's the deal. You cannot argue that the Bible doesn't say this is, this is needed. You, you can't say that it's not all over the Bible as normative body life uh, in the context of a church. Now, we can agree all that, that we don't like it. So, some of you don't like to receive it. If you're like me, some of you don't like to offer admonishment. But, but here's the deal. It is normative New Testament Christian. And I think we would all give testimony that would say something like this. I wish during a certain season of my life, when the wheels started to fall off, someone would have stepped in and shared truth with me before I headed over the cliff. Now, here's the question. What's the best environment for that to happen? Can we all agree that the best environment is not this room? Like how odd would it be if one Sunday you're singing, someone walks across the worship center and just says, Hey, I know we don't know each other, but I want to share with you that outfit you have on is too revealing for church. And I don't like your wife's shoes. what I did there? Funny. <laughs> some of you are like, I still don't get it. Well, just, if you don't know, you better ask somebody, all right? We need admonishment, and community is the place that it best happens. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit. So for four weeks now, we, we've, we've kind of made the case that, hey, community is the best place for admonishment. It's the best place for confession. It's the best place for counsel. Uh, it's the best place where application happens. It's the best place for encouragement. It's the best place. Listen, th so for four weeks now, like we could now go back and change the title of the series uh, saying that community is uh, spiritual penicillin, right? Like it's, the cure, right? like it's really, really powerful that God uses it. But l l let's just get honest this morning. Some of you have been listening to this series. You've heard these testimonies every week. 
You've heard uh, me describe what, what, what should happen in these environments. And, and some of you have been going to Bible studies or groups or Sunday school classes, I don't care what you call them, for, for years and maybe decades, and, and you've yet to experience uh, what, what we're describing here. And some of you have, have learned a lot of things. But, but all this idea, like, like all these things that should happen, like you've, you've never experienced that. And so, listen, that, that, that's a fair question. So, so let me just speak into that a little bit and speak into culture uh, a little bit this morning as it relates to discipleship. So um, if you're here and, and you're not a member and you're just checking this out, this is a great Sunday because I'm, I'm going to kind of share with you what we hope happens through, through a movement of uh, biblical community. And so, and so here's, here's what happens. There, there's about three ingredients that, that if they don't happen, I, I don't care where your group meets, what time it meets, on campus, off campus. Like, I, I don't care if these three things don't happen. Uh, you, you're, not, you're not experiencing a discipleship as described in the context of biblical community. So, so let me just give you three ingredients that have to happen. One is a culture of authenticity. What, what does that mean? What it means is this. Um, it's normative. It's okay. It's normative to struggle uh, in the Christian life. And that, that's kind of the base. Like, like we have this idea that, that I'm going to church and if I share that I struggle, then people are like, what, what's wrong with you? Don't, you? don't you listen when he preaches? Don't you take notes? I mean, don't, what's, listen, it's normal. It's called sanctification. It's called waging war with the flesh. That's never going to go away on this side of heaven. All right? That's normal. And if you're here and you're like, you know, I don't have a lot of struggles. Let me just, let me just share this with you. No one likes you. All right? It's normal. And so there's a culture of authenticity. But beyond a culture of authenticity, we say, hey, listen, it's okay to struggle. We all, I get that. But it has to go beyond that uh, into uh, transparency. So, so uh, authenticity has to grow into transparency. Now, transparency is this. Uh, we, we just have a culture say it's, it's everybody struggles. It's fine to struggle. Uh, it's, you don't have to be ashamed of that. But, but transparency is, is you're allowed to share that struggle. Now, let me tell you where it stops, though. When I'm transparent, I will share a struggle with you when I know what your response is going to be. If I'm in a group and I, and I walked in and said, hey, listen, my, uh, my mother, you know, she's fallen ill and uh, she, she's under the care of hospice and, I, and I'm struggling with that. Uh, I can share that. You know why? I have a pretty good idea of what your response is going to be. Your response is going to be, hey, well, uh, what can we do for you? We'll, we'll pray for you. We'll, like, that's not, like, I'm not sharing that, that, you know, someone I love is on their deathbed with the, with the thought that someone's going to go, who cares, right? Authenticity, it's okay to struggle. Transparency, it's all right to share when you're struggling, but, but, but it can't stop, but listen, it cannot stop there. Here's the third tier, Vulnerability. You see, in transparency, I share, and I know how you're going to respond. In vulnerability, I share, and I have no idea how you're going to respond. Transparency is, hey, uh, we're struggling. We, we lost our job. We, you know, someone's sick we love. You know, we're just walking through a difficult time. Uh, vulnerability is, hey, listen, I, I know that you, you may be totally surprised by this. Um, it looks like we have the perfect family. Listen, it could not be more broken. Let, let me walk you through what we're walking through. And I have no idea how you're going to respond. Now, can we all agree this morning, walking through those things, that the larger the group is, 
the lower the vulnerability is in a group. Am I right? Let me just speak from experience. So, so for 16 years, I've taught the Bible to, to people in groups of hundreds like this, and I've taught it in groups of tens uh, in Bible study, and then I've counseled uh, hundreds of individuals in the last 60 years. Let me just share this with you. The, the smaller it gets down to, the higher the vulnerability. People have shared things with me in one-on-one. They would never share in a group, and people have shared things in group they would never share in a crowd. As a matter of fact, if someone's too vulnerable in a crowd, well, what do we say? They lack self-awareness, right? And so I think we all can agree that the smaller the group, the higher the vulnerability that happens uh, in that group. So, so, so what, why don't we experience this? If this is the nature of biblical community where I can share these genuine heart struggles, not, not just someone sick, no, genuine heart struggles of, of brokenness and dysfunction and disappointment and bitterness and, and all those things we're walking through. And what happens is this. Let, let me just speak into this. Um, I, I, I've been doing this now for, for 16 years. And so some of you like in the math, he was 12 when he started. Yes, you, you count the, okay, right? Let me, let me just tell you what I'm really weary of in church culture in, in American Christianity. High Bible knowledge and low vulnerability. And let me just say something, not for shock value, because I just want to speak into it. If you've sat through Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, for years and years and decades and decades, and no one knows your deepest struggles. You've never been discipled. You've been educated. If you can lay out all the intricacies of the book of Romans and the timeline of, of, of the book of Revelation, uh, but yet you, no one knows you struggle with sinful anger or lust or shame. Uh, listen, you've been educated, but you've not been discipled. If you're well-versed in the doctrine of creation, all the intricacies and those things, but your life at home is a, is a total train wreck. Listen, you've been educated, but you've not been uh, discipled. If you can articulate the gospel clearly, uh, but cannot love your neighbor faithfully because they're a different race or belong to a different political party or speak broken English. Listen, uh, you've been educated, but you're not mature in the Lord. And I don't care how many Beth Moore studies you've gone to and how many John MacArthur sermons you've listened to. You've been educated, but not discipled. Because what happens in those environments is people sit there and doctrine is dispensed but vulnerability is avoided, so I just say stuck in my own spiritual struggles, and I would never in a million years tell that to anyone else. Listen, you've been sold a bill of goods. You've been educated. You've not been discipled. And if you sit here week after week, and I teach, or Chris teaches, or Scott, whoever teaches, and you take careful notes, careful notes, and you grow in your knowledge of scripture but no one grows in their knowledge of you then you're getting educated but, but, but you're not ex- going to ever experience transformation of the gospel so, so let me just tell you a, a true story and I'm going to give you a stat and then I'm done alright so, so, so true story so, so when I came here and I was interviewing um, I told the search team 
I just said, now listen, if I come here, here's what I want you to know, that I deeply believe the scripture, like, like to the point where I'm going to teach all of it, like even the parts that are really uncomfortable. And so if that's not what you want, I, I'm not your guy. Like I'm going to teach the whole counsel of God's word, comforting, encouraging, convicting, correcting, like the whole thing. Because I believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I believe that at the core of my being. So if you don't want that, don't, you know, just you want someone else, you, you know, go hire a motivational speaker, but, but I'm not that guy, all right? They said, no, no, that, that's what we need. And so I said, okay. And so I came here, I thought, you know what? I'm not interested in drawing a crowd. Like, I'm just going to teach faithfully the word of God. And, and, and listen, let's just be real honest. It couldn't have gotten any worse. Amen? Like, for those of you who were here eight years ago, like, like I, I remember thinking, I'm just going to go there and teach the Bible. And I know one thing, I can't make it worse than it already is, all right? So if you weren't here back then, the church was a mess, and just, whatever, fill in the blank, all right? And so here's what happened. We began to teach the Bible faithfully, and we began to teach people how to apply it practically. And the Word of God does what only it can do. It cut people's hearts open. When the Bible talks about being a sharper than a two-edged sword in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says it uh, cuts uh, the joints in the marrow and exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We call that the heart. And we begin to teach those passages that, 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 that do what God says it will do. And do you know what started happening? Uh, people's hearts began to get opened and cut open, and stuff they didn't realize was in there started to come out. And they didn't know what to do. And so here's what they did. They called and wanted an appointment with me for counseling. And we got to a place where there was between a three and four week wait to get into my office for counseling. And I remember thinking, something is wrong. And I began to ask these people, I said, hey, I said, um, this thing that you're sharing with me, the being vulnerable, I said, this thing that you're sharing with me, have you ever shared that in your Bible fellowship group? And you know this, not a single person said yes as a matter of fact one person said why in the world would I share that with my teacher and at that moment I said we, we, we've got a problem here that we've got to go from teaching information to start equipping disciple makers who can take the Bible and help a real person with a real problem using the scripture and what I began to realize is the culture at that time was, hey, if you want to grow in your knowledge of the Bible and meet some people on a surface level, join a Bible study. But if you've got a real problem that needs real help, make an appointment with the pastor. And can I just tell you this? Listen, uh, that we can't hire enough pastors if that is, in fact, our model. So we begin to shift things around and do things differently. Now, How are we doing? So, um, when I planned this series out, it originally was scheduled for two weeks. And some of you right now are thinking, that was a lot better idea. Yes, you should have done that. <laughs> and I said, hey, I said, um, you think I should teach longer on this? And they said, you know, you, listen, it doesn't matter what you teach. You're so gifted. You're, you're <laughs> you know. And so... Um, so uh, I said, I said do, you, do you think we need to close the gap on community here? And I said, let, let, let's just experiment. So, so, so last week, we don't, we don't post the attendance because that's what we're worried about, worried about disciple making. And so, um, so, so, so last week, 
there were just a little over 900 people here on the weekends, all right? So some weekends a little more, some weekends a little less. But So if you've got 900 people coming on a weekend, that means there's probably 11 or 1,200 people that go to your church. They just don't all show up on the same weekend unless it's Easter, okay? And so, so I just said, hey, let's sit down out of these 11, 1,200 people that go to our church. Let's just sit down and just adults, let's see how many names we can come up with who we know we're not connected according to our group, group structure and rosters. And so we looked and we said, hey, someone made a recent gift. We didn't look at the amounts, but someone made a recent gift recently, so they're probably here and invested. Uh, these people check their kids in. Uh, this is someone I met in membership class or out there, and, and I, I still see them, so, so I know they're here. So it wasn't, now, now some of you, listen, you've been coming a long time, and you're still anonymous, all right? Despite our best efforts, you're totally anonymous. Let me just say this. We're coming for you, all right? So, but, but here's what we came up with. 400 and 96 adults who aren't connected to any other believers in a group. 496. And that's just the ones we can track. So over the last three weeks now, at the end of the series, we said, hey, here's your application. Fill out that connection card and stop by Connection Central. And when groups start in a few weeks, we'll help you get connected to a group because this is important. That's why we've been teaching on it. This is what the Bible says, you know, all those kind of things. And so, so, so we start off with 496. Over the last three weeks, here, here's how many people have signed up. About 50. So here's the bad news. The good news is everything I've taught for the last four weeks is completely true. All right? So you, you, you can be, it's true. The bad news is we've got a huge gap. Like people are hearing it and saying yes and amen, but I'm not doing anything about it. The bad news is we've got a huge gap to close if we want to disciple people like Christ has called us to disciple people. Now, here's the good news. Everybody that came in today got a sign-up card in your worship folder. And the other good news is I'm done talking, and I'm going to give you a few moments to fill that out, and I'm going to challenge you to step out of the crowd and into community. So would you bow your heads? As your head's bowed and some of our team comes to lead us in a response time, I'm going to ask you to take out that card and use this time to fill out that response card in your worship folder and sign up for a group. And what I know is this, that some of you right now are living with the tension between what you know you should do and what you want to do. Some of you right now are scared to get into a group and expose the fact that you don't know your way around the Bible. Some of you don't like the idea of being vulnerable with what you struggle with, even though you know that God uses that to transform us. And if that's you, here, here's, here's what I want to encourage you with and challenge you with this morning. God never called anyone to walk alone. And if you're struggling and no one knows it, if you've got things going on you've never shared, listen, God has a plan for that and it's not a pastor. He may be a part of that plan, but God has raised up and placed you in this body and raised up a community of people around you who will love you even in the midst of your struggles.
then you can experience true growth and true change. And so right now, I'm just going to challenge you to, to fill that card out. In just a moment, we'll tell you what to do with it. But right, right, right now, let, let me just pray over this time and, and close out this service in prayer. Then Nick's going to come and give you some next steps. So, so let me just pray for you right now. Lord, it is a scary thing to leave the safety of a crowd to venture into community. But God, what we've been exposed to from the Word of God these past four weeks is that's a part of your plan for transformation. You've never called any of us to struggle alone. You've never called the only ministry to take place from pastors. You've raised up a body called the church so that people can not only rejoice when we rejoice, but they can weep when we weep. And when the bottom falls out, they can step in. And so, Lord, I pray for every person who's scared, who knows it's the right thing to do, but for whatever reason, they don't know if they can do it. God, help them to live by faith. Help them to trust your word when they don't know what the outcome is going to be. That is biblical faith. Let us be people of faith, because apart from faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And so, God, we thank you that you love us so much that you gave us a people called the church to walk with us. We're grateful for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen.